Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. He's bright, he's ambitious, and at age 22, he was elected mayor of his hometown of Holyoke. Now a seasoned 30-year-old four-term mayor, Alex Morse has his sights set on Congress. Nothing so surprising about that. What has his move getting notice here, and even nationally, is the fact that Morse's path to Congress involves challenging veteran Congressman Richard Neal in next year's Democratic primary. In January, Neal became chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, making him one of the most powerful members of the House. In normal times, Morse would be pegged as the longest of long shots, but these aren't normal times in American politics. Just ask Mike Capuano, who lost a primary last year to Boston's Ayanna Presley, or Joe Crowley, the New York congressman ousted by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Does all of that set the table for another intra-party upset by a candidate of the insurgent left? Alex Morse certainly hopes so, and he is our guest this week on the podcast. Uh, hey, Alex Morse, welcome to you. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So Western Mass has a congressman who, with the Democratic takeover of the House last fall, is now one of the most influential members of Congress. Why is a fellow Democrat uh, take him on? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. And I, I think there's an urgency to this moment right now in our country. These aren't normal times. It's not business as usual. And that urgency is not matched by our current representative in Congress. I ran for mayor eight years ago because I felt like people had quietly given up on Holyoke and there were people and places, neighborhoods that had lost faith that city government could be a force for good in their lives and improve their quality of life. And there were people and places that just felt left behind and forgotten about. And those are the same themes that I hear today all across Western Massachusetts. So at the very time, we have one of the most powerful Democrats in Washington representing us over the last 30 years. We also have people and families and cities and towns that are struggling. And we've made a lot of progress here in Holyoke, but that progress has been made with the resources we have under a system that really doesn't prioritize or value places like like Holyoke. And I mean, how has, uh, you know, how, how have those areas, I mean, they've certainly been left behind in a lot of ways by the changes, you know, in the economy, changes that have, you know, happened globally and have affected cities across the state and across the country. Um, but how has, uh, I mean, how, you know, how has the congressman sort of let down the district in a way? You hear often about, you know, ways he's sort of, you know, delivered the bacon or, or been there for various projects, done what he can uh, to, to bring home resources. Where's the, where's the, where's the failing been? Yeah, I think it's a fundamental difference between how you view your position as a member of Congress or as an elected official in general. And I think people should expect a level of transparency and responsiveness. And so that's why I pledged to have at least 12 town halls uh, my first year in office to really listen, be on the ground, uh, show up to every 87 uh, city and town that is in the district and bring those concerns and struggles uh, to Washington. What's happening here in Western Mass, we continue to lag behind uh, other parts of the state in terms of economic growth. And when you look at outcomes in education, transportation, the opioid epidemic uh, in particular, um, you know, hospitals uh, being closed, uh, schools in some of the small rural towns uh, having to lay off uh, staff and even close themselves, uh, you know, we would never really know that we had one of the most powerful members of Congress here uh, in Western Mass. So again, there's an urgency to this moment on a whole host of issues. And people are struggling here 
in Western Mass to get jobs, to get quality, affordable health insurance, uh, to get a detox bed for themselves or a member uh, of their family. And so when I go to Washington, I want to fight for uh, the people here in the district, not for you know, special interests and, and the D.C. establishment. And has he been, you know, too cozy with that establishment? I know there's been, uh, you know, you, you've talked about, you know, shunning, uh, you know, corporate PAC donations and your your uh, launch video uh, had a line at one point saying that corporate PACs and corporations are more important than the interests and needs uh, of struggle uh, and struggles of people there in the district. So, I mean, what? how is it that he's he's kind of been, been more... Uh, you know, more attentive to their needs. What is that? What's the real argument there? Yeah, and I've made it very clear that I don't want to take a dime of corporate PAC money, and I never want to have to wonder or question or tussle with, like, who am I taking a vote for or who am I standing up for, whether it's on health insurance and whether I want to side with people who need health insurance or whether I want to side with Big Pharma, who have invested in my campaign. And I won't be in that situation because I won't uh, take that money. And our congressman can't uh, say the same thing. Also, you know, when I'm on recess, I want to spend that time here in Western Mass, interacting with people, doing town halls, uh, showing up at the numerous small businesses throughout Western Massachusetts, not spending that time in D.C. or Boston uh, wooing wealthy donors. This is a, a grassroots campaign where everyday folks can chip in to help us get our message out. Mm-hmm. And has he not been present in terms of those kind of district uh, uh, appearances or town halls? That's one of the recurring themes that I hear each and every day as I meet with people throughout the district is they want someone that they can see, that they could voice their opinions, they want to be heard. Um, you know, I've done it as mayor over the last eight years, just be present, not only have an open door policy where people have to come to the office, but getting out into different neighborhoods and to different venues and taking questions and, and letting people hold you accountable. You know, no matter how long you've been in office or how much power you have, uh, your power really comes from these elections from everyday people. And you can never forget that. Um, I haven't forgotten it here in Holyoke. And uh, I think Congressman Neal, after spending so many years in D.C., um, has forgotten that in, in many ways. And I've just met with people the last few months as I as I explored running for Congress. And I met with policy experts and neighborhood leaders and people who have been organizing on the ground. And I'm the first candidate for Congress that has sat down with them and talked to them about the issues that they're facing, them, their families, their community. Um, and people want someone that listens and then takes those issues to D.C. with them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if for argument's sake, if if you sort of maybe stipulate that that maybe Congressman Neal hasn't been as you know forceful on all of these issues that you're talking about, isn't there still uh, you know even as an an imperfect uh, 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 representative in an extremely powerful position versus if you win and you're you know a freshman out of 435, uh, what I mean, it's, isn't it pretty unrealistic to think that? that the district would be, you know, certainly in the short term, uh, better served by that? No, I, I disagree with that assessment. Number one, I think, well, first off, yes. I mean, Congressman Neal, he knows how Washington works. He's been there a long time. Um, but he certainly won't change how Washington works because Washington works right now very well for the wealthy, the well-connected, um, a few folks. But it's not serving, the status quo is not serving the people here in Western Massachusetts. And he has power. Uh, No one is arguing with that, but power for who? I want to make sure that I use that position to use that power for every single person in the district, not just some people. And so, you know, people here, 
haven't been able to make the connection between chair of ways and means 30 years in office and their everyday lives. I mean, people are 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 busy. They're they're struggling. They're trying to find a job. They're trying to find healthcare again. They're trying to find access to uh, the treatment. They want the best possible neighborhood, best possible schools uh, for their kids. And I think again, we've lost this connection between our everyday issues and challenges and the role that our federal government plays in helping solve some of these biggest challenges we face. I could continue being mayor of Holyoke, uh, a city, again, that people had given up on. But in the system we have, with the resources that we're given, we can only move the needle so much. And to have a champion in Washington that has this perspective that hasn't given up on places like Holyoke and Springfield and all of the towns uh, in Western Mass, I think, needs that perspective. And I'd also say, when you when you look at D.C. right now and who's setting the agenda and and standing up for the values that they believe in the most. It's not the members of Congress that have been there for two or three decades. It's the members of Congress that have been there as few as seven months that are really holding this president accountable, that are changing the conversation, bringing issues to the forefront. Uh, and so I would argue that it's, it's, it's the freshman members of Congress that are really having the most influence right now, not so much the people that have been there for decades. And that's obviously... Uh you know, in part a reference to, as I talked about, a couple of the freshman members mm. who, uh, you know, who defeated incumbent Democrats. And, uh, you know, one of them mm. here in Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley in Boston. And I saw this week uh, that you told Mother Jones magazine, that, quote, you'd be thrilled to be welcomed into the squad, a reference obviously to the the, the nickname now being used for the, for the foursome of congresswomen, mm. uh, I mean, what, what do you mean by that? And I mean, what is what is what do you think the squad represents? And and what does that mean that you'd you'd want to be kind of part of that wing of the House? I think it's a group, uh, members of Congress, uh, not just a squad, but there's many members of Congress that are in D.C. not to maintain the status quo, but to actually change how Washington works. They've pr- provided a a level of transparency to uh, the corruption of Washington, uh, the fact that we have members of Congress that spend hours and hours every week just calling donors rather than showing up to committee hearings, um, talking about the importance of progressive policies, um, standing up to members of your own party. Uh, I mean, this isn't an issue exclusive to uh, the Republican Party. Both both sides of the aisle, uh, I think, have become beholden to special interests and have an interest in preserving the, the status quo. And what I really appreciate about new members of Congress, the more progressive members of Congress today is they're intently focused on policies that would move the needle and change outcomes in their communities. Um, and they're in touch with their community as well. They're listening, they're learning, and they're bringing those uh, those struggles to Washington uh, with them. And so again, I would um, certainly uh, welcome being part of any member of Congress that wants to change uh, how Washington works. Mm-hmm. And um, let's talk just for a minute about one of the specific uh, um, powers uh, that fell into Congressman Neal's lap when he became chairman, the one that's you know gotten the most attention, I think, is the fact that uh, the Ways and Means Committee uh, has the authority to to seek the tax returns of the president. And that was something even before the Democrats came into power after the midterm elections when we knew that that was going to that transition would happen in January the cries began for for Neil to make make plans to go after Trump's tax returns and uh, he has now made that move but it took a while and I mean there was a lot of talk uh, 
uh, from critics that he had sort of slow walked his way there. Uh, we know that the California, uh, you know, multimillionaire Tom Steyer, Steyer had been uh, blanketing the district with billboards, kind of softening up Neil, demanding that he uh, that that he that he seek those returns. I mean, what, what's your what's your take on how he's handled that, and has that been, um, you know, is that sort of uh, emblematic of kind of this sort mm-hmm. of you know you know, unwillingness to kind of rock the boat or go after things in the way that people should. Yeah, I think it's this overall sense. And, and I would say from the onset that this one issue is, is is certainly not the reason I'm running for Congress. But this issue is, again, another example of our congressman's lack of awareness of the urgency of this moment and this pretending almost that this is business as usual. And we're dealing with uh, a president that is 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 normal, right? I mean, these are not normal times. I think our democracy is dying before our eyes. And I think the tax issue is just, again, emblematic of his overall style and approach to, to government. And I think we need to do everything we can to hold this president accountable. That's the constitutional obligation of our members of Congress. Uh, and yes, I think the congressman uh, did slow walk it. I think people were frustrated. I know people here in Western Mass uh, certainly were. Um, and, you know, certainly worded letters are, are good, but I think we need action. And that's why I support opening up impeachment proceedings against uh, this president. Um, if not for this president, I think it sets an incredibly dangerous president for um, any member of uh, any occupant of the White House uh, moving forward. So uh, I think there's ample evidence there. I also would add that New York state legislators had, have worked very hard to get access to uh, the president's New York state tax returns. Um, and again, Congressman uh, Neal has uh, refused to, to take advantage of, of, of getting those returns and providing that information to the American people. I think it gets back to to the extent that we could get as much, inf- much information as possible out in the open so that the American people um, can see the truth uh, the only way to get there is by by having these hearings and proceedings. And what's in in your view? What's the sort of rationale for impeachment hearings, or what what's the argument to proceed on that? Oh, I think there's a, a plethora of, of reasonings. Be it any content of the of the Mueller report, be it any of the testimony of, of Mueller yesterday, of the overt corruption uh, in in Washington uh, happening with members uh, of the cabinet, uh, the situation uh, at the border, the overall racism and xenophobia uh, of this president. He's broken every democratic norm that we have uh, in in Washington in our country. Uh, and again, I don't think we can we can pretend that this is this is business as usual. And so, you know, I know our congressman has mm-hmm. interest in, you know, he talks about the the need for an infrastructure bill. And you know, part of me thinks that he's more interested in, you know, preserving some semblance of a relationship with the president rather than holding him accountable. Right. Although, yeah, again, some people would say, uh, to take that issue, if there can be any progress made on infrastructure bill, as much as people may have uh, issues with Trump. Uh, in the end, what they can agree to could make a, a, a concrete difference, I guess, pun intended, in terms of what happens across districts, you know, throughout the country, and that that would be worth something. On the impeachment thing, I know that, you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi, I think part of her reservation and that of some in the Democratic Party establishment is that they don't see any real likelihood that an impeachment process would lead to his removal, uh, given the makeup and the uh, sort of leanings and, and, and uh, in the Senate. So, uh, you know, there's a feeling that as much as that cause might be justified, that politically it's just going to kind of be a mess that has him 
continuing to play the victim card going into the election next fall. So isn't there a kind of a kind of hard-bitten reality to it that would suggest mm-hmm. just sort of focus on the, on the election and defeating them? Well, I think we can walk and, and chew gum at the same time. And I think this is one of the problems with Washington is that people on both sides, Democrats included here, are more concerned about political polls and the next election rather than our, our principles and our constitution and the precedent we set uh, for the future. And so if we let this president uh, have a pass, uh, I mean, what do we say in the future uh, if if we have this moment again um, in our time? I mean, we're going to look back at this presidency as, as an awful moment in our democracy and, and in our country. And to have Democratic leaders, um, you know, pass the buck and pretend that this is business as usual. I mean, they walked into an infrastructure meeting and the president walked out within three minutes. Uh, and I certainly don't have faith that any infrastructure bill that this president signs would actually benefit communities like Holyoke or the cities and towns in Western Mass. Um, I would I would argue that it would likely benefit uh, big corporations and the wealthiest Americans that would benefit from any infrastructure bill. So we have to make sure that our cities and towns, our people here are at the forefront of any legislation. Uh, and I don't have confidence in the White House to deliver for people like us. How do you sort of assess the the sort of challenge on the ground of, of mounting this campaign? I mean, there's certainly a strong, again, argument uh, that people have that that uh, you know, frankly, you know, to be sort of the most blunt, some people would say that it's nuts that this is the. the uh, I mean, I'm just even looking at uh, today's Springfield Republican uh, has an editorial that essentially says, or the headline is, that says Morris's challenge to Neil comes at the worst possible time, uh, you know, with a reference, obviously, to, to, to his, you know, after 30 years, the sort of clout and power he has now, and the idea that, that uh, voters in the district would, would toss that aside at this moment, uh, you know, they, they think would be, uh, would be crazy. I mean, that's obviously going to be something that you're going to contend with and uh and and you know and it's not a it's not a not a small obstacle i would think in your path yeah and, and this election certainly isn't going to be decided by editorial boards or, or a small group of people uh in a boardroom this is going to be decided by the voters and the people here in western mass and so you know we're going to find what a lot of challengers to established entrenched incumbents have found that elected officials uh organizations and editorial boards uh will not speak for the vast majority of people here in Western Mass. And when you look at the voter turnout in a Democratic primary here in the 1st District, it's it's much too low. And so, uh, you know, not only is our democracy suffering around the country, but it's suffering here in Western Mass because we've internalized these expectations as to what we expect from our member of Congress. But I can tell you as a mayor uh, of a city now for eight years, a, a, a big part of our district, you know, people want uh, a new kind of leadership. It's not about the last 30 years, it's the next 30 years. Where are we going? And how has that power benefited uh, Western Massachusetts in ways that actually improves people's lives? And so I know people here on the ground are excited for a, a viable, organized uh, challenger, someone that wants to build a new kind of grassroots movement uh, that this district hasn't seen uh, in some time. So again, this election is not decided by uh, editorial boards. Uh, and uh, you know, we're on day three uh, of this election, and we want to make sure that it's the people that get to decide uh, in the voting booth on election day. And uh, I mean, you talked about a thirty-year incumbent. I, I, I've certainly seen one uh, one data point that that uh, underscores the the sort of generational uh, uh, gulf between you and the congressman, and that is that uh, uh, you were not born when he uh, took office. I think you you arrived soon thereafter, but that's 
I guess a few week, a few weeks after I think. <laughs> right, right. So you you've only known the Neil uh, the Neil reign in Congress, I guess, in your lifetime is safe to say. Well, yeah. Well, actually, um, we had um, growing up in Holyoke, we actually had Congressman Olver for. Um, for oh, that's many right. Years There's because, been redistricting. Yeah, and then uh, right. It was around the time I became mayor that uh, Congressman Neal ended up uh, getting Holyoke into the district. So, and how? What's your relationship been like, or working with him? I, I know. I think I was out there in Holyoke some years ago at an event, and uh, you know that he was at. I think it might have had to do with the the, the, the high speed computing center or something. I mean, obviously, you've had you've had occasion to be together at at, at events and 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 work on stuff. What's that been like? Yeah, I mean, listen, this this isn't really about uh, Congressman Neal in, in many ways. I think, again, it's the urgency of our moment. I mean, we have an okay relationship as far uh, as I can tell. But, I mean, I've always been an outsider. I ran against the establishment eight years ago here in Holyoke, and I'm doing it again today uh, in the district. And, of course, you know, there were people back then that told me to wait my turn, uh, run for a different office, or just don't run for anything at all. Uh, some of the same messages I would I would hear today uh, from folks that are supporting uh, the congressman, and so certainly we've had interactions over the years. But you know, I will say as mayor, um, I haven't felt like we've had a, a strong partner, a champion in Washington, helping us advance uh, our goals. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm running. I want to help places like this in a in a bigger, more substantial way. And I mean, how do you sort of assess uh, you know the sort of uh, the path to victory, or or what sort of lessons do you take from Things like Ayanna Presley's win here, or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's win in New York, are there lessons that 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 you sort of take in terms of, uh, you know, they both were, you know, faced a lot of the same hurdles. They both faced a lot of the same arguments that you're hearing mm-hmm. uh, about uh, the folly of sort of tossing out, uh, you know, representatives, Democrats who are in positions or mm-hmm. about to be in positions of some power in the House. Um, what is it you take from those campaigns? Yeah, and I think we have to acknowledge that all three districts are, are very distinct in, in, in many ways, too. But I think there's some conclusions that can be drawn. Obviously, you know, both candidates were vastly outspent by the incumbents. Uh, and there's traditional wisdom from the from the consultant class of political consultants that I heard this eight years ago, you know, only talk to this group of voters. These are the people that vote in every single election, and that's where you want to spend your time. Don't bother with folks that only vote once right. every three years. Um, you know, we're going to run a kind of campaign on a bigger scale of the campaigns we've run here in Holyoke, and that is expanding the universe, changing who votes in many ways. There are thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. in this district that will show up to vote for their presidential candidate show up to vote for their gubernatorial candidate, but you know haven't been moved to show up to vote for their candidate for Congress. And so there are tens of thousands of people that have already taken the time to register to vote. They are interested in being part of the democracy here, but just aren't showing up in congressional uh, primaries here in, in Western Mass. And so uh, our path is in expanding the universe, reaching out to people who have felt left behind, uh, not, including, uh, not included in the process, uh, knocking on doors, uh, having conversations in kitchens and living rooms with people that have never met, number one, their congressman, uh, but any candidate uh, for Congress. And so we're going to build out a, a grassroots campaign in uh, every one of the 87 cities and towns, uh, build those relationships with neighborhood leaders and activists and organizers. Um, and that's how we're going to get this done. It's not going to be won by the candidate who has the most money and Congressman Neal will 
have as much money as he wants and and needs to run the kind of campaign he wants uh but you know we we're gonna we're gonna have something else we're gonna have uh, a movement on the ground uh with ordinary people uh that are interested in interested in a, a new generation of leadership and uh i mean you've talked a bit about congressman neil not sort of being as present in the district or there not being the sort of transparency what on sort of you know real concrete issues or votes where where has he been uh, where has he let the district down or where would you have sort of operated differently on, on something that, that has come before Congress? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I already talked about the accessibility, uh, responsiveness, uh, town halls being present in the district as much as possible, which which isn't happening by by any means. Right. Uh, but then well, there's what actually about the actual policies, business of right? Congress. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you think about when you think about health insurance, for example, I mean, in Western Massachusetts, the number of people that when you look at our public health outcomes, I mean, we're one of the least healthy counties, uh, I think, for at least 10 years in, in all, Hamden County, of all counties in, in Massachusetts, year after year when you look at outcomes, right? And so we need a member of Congress that is interested, again, in putting people and their health before profits for uh, big pharma and pharmaceutical companies. And so... But what does that mean? I mean, where has he been on the wrong side of an issue or where should he have done something that he didn't do? Yeah, I mean, he should, as chair of Ways and Means, uh, encourage a robust conversation about the importance of Medicare for all. And I mean, that's one specific policy where the congressman continues to advocate for a system, again, that puts profits before uh, before people. And so if I'm in Congress, I'll support a Medicare for all bill that actually provides universal mm-hmm. affordable coverage for people here in Western Mass. And that includes coverage for uh, mental health resources. It includes coverage for people that are um, in need of uh, rehabilitation uh, and detox and, and treatment. Um, again, I mentioned the opioid crisis, not only here in Holyoke, but in Springfield and the rural towns uh, throughout the district. Uh, I mean, you can't be saying you prioritize the opioid crisis, yet take vast amounts of money from Big Pharma, the very companies that push the opioid epidemic on communities like ours uh, in the first place. You can't take a vote uh, opposing Medicare for all uh, at the very time you're taking vast amounts of money from uh, the pharmaceutical industry that uh, profits off the status quo. And so uh, we need a member of Congress that you know stands up for people, uh, people who need government the most, uh, not people who can give the most. And so we also look at climate change. I mean, in Holyoke, we've been able to, to move the needle, uh, get Holyoke closer to becoming a carbon neutral community, transition a coal plant into a solar field and a battery storage facility. We've seen the impacts of climate disasters with over 2,000 Puerto Ricans coming to Holyoke and Western Mass after Hurricane Maria. And it's not enough just to acknowledge the climate uh, crisis. It's it's to actually advocate for, for bold policies to combat climate change. I mean, Congressman Neal is the only one out of the nine members of, of Congress in Massachusetts that isn't signed on to the Green New Deal. Um, and again, I'm unsure as to why uh, that is. And so it's not just specific votes, but it's also about having a vocal champion on issues that matter here uh, in Western Mass. And uh, we talked about sort of his style of, uh, of of leadership over the last 30 years. And again, people here are hungry for a vocal advocate for Western Mass on a whole host of issues. At the beginning, in my introduction, I, I sort of said it in, a, in, in most normal times, the idea of challenging a 30-year incumbent, one about to one who's taken on the kind of influential role that Congressman Neal has, that in in most normal times that would be considered kind of a fool's errand. Uh, you know, there are some who probably still think it is even in in today's times. But but part of your argument, I guess, has been that we're really not in 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 normal times, right? And that and that there's something afoot in the country uh, 
politically in terms of how people are feeling about the state of their representation mm -hmm. that that makes uh, what you're doing uh, you know not not at all kind of a, a fool's errand but I mean you're sort of saying it's almost uh, uh, something people are are compelled to do mm -hmm. like yourself yeah and these aren't normal times and listen members of Congress have a have a two-year term in the House of Representatives and so this notion that someone is entitled to the same position for for decades, for term after term, without any accountability, without any opponent, um, just isn't democracy, in my opinion. It's not democracy in the, the countless people I speak to here about this election uh, on the ground in Western Mass. The fact that we should somehow abide by some social norms of uh, our member of Congress has been there 15 years. You know, God forbid that he has a uh, he has a challenge. I mean, people here on the ground again. Um, are, number one, excited about this campaign, excited about um, a, a new kind of campaign that is reaching out in different ways, talking about issues uh, in, in different ways. And uh, again, uh, you're on the ballot uh, every two years, and I wouldn't have made this decision. I don't make them lightly if I didn't feel like we had a pathway to victory uh, next September. All right. Well, hey, Holyoke Mayor Alex Morris, thanks so much for, uh, for talking to us on the podcast this week. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Mike. This has been another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. For more analysis of the race between Mayor Alex Morse and Congressman Richard Neal, check out the most recent installment of the Horse Race, the podcast by our friends at the Massing Polling Group. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>